Welcome to the Blab Lab, a twice monthly podcast from the reporters of Eco RI News, where we unpack the critical environmental issues facing Southern Brooklyn. I'm reporter Colleen Cronin, and today I'm here with my colleague Rob Smith to talk about a story you might have thought was over, but is really just entering its second act Shoreline Access. Hi, Rob. Hi, Colleen. How are you doing today? We're doing pretty good. I was hoping that we could talk a little bit about Shoreline Access, the history, where we sure. ended last year, and then also some of the interesting stuff that's been going on this summer. Before we get started on maybe the newer stuff, for anyone who doesn't understand the Shoreline Access history or issue, could you just kind of give us a little summary? So if you're a Rhode Islander, you have a constitutional right to access the shore. That could be a beach, that could be like a, a cliff area, a rocky area, whatever. Uh, it is in the state constitution. It's been in there since the state constitution was written in the 1840s. Before that, it was in our colonial charter from the King of England, Charles II. King's not important. Uh, the important <laughs> thing, it's been written in uh, for hundreds of years, and it's something we've had for hundreds of years. There's been big debate recently uh, because that right got narrowed in the 80s due to a state Supreme Court case called State v. Ibison, where it limited your public access to the mean high water line, but like over a 20-year period, which no one measures. <laughs> the problem with shoreline access rights is that the ocean is constantly moving. The tide goes in and out. It erodes the coastline. It erodes beaches. It erodes dunes. So that boundary line has run into some problems with private property owners because no one can really determine where public access in the Constitution begins and where private property so forth. So for 40 years, it's been legal limbo. Uh, you can only go to mean high water line. You have a constitutional access to the shoreline, and that includes beach or whatever the coastline may be. And waterfront property owners have private property rights. And how do you square that circle? And you can't because the Emerson decision is what set everything at mean high water, and that line just isn't working. You need scientific surveying equipment. If you want to walk onto the beach, you need to be able to physically see where the boundary is. And question, I'm I'm guessing that that line also would really vary based on where you are and also like climate change is impacting so stuff. So the, 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 other, the other twist is no matter what boundary you set, the line is always moving. Some shoreline activists, and they're probably correct, I don't know that much about sort of the ecology and the, the ecosystem makeup of like a beach, but it's really interesting and I'd like to get more into it. They will tell you that the ocean really ends not at like the tide water line where that water ends. It ends actually over the vegetation line. But the vegetation line on your beach or the shoreline is where the ocean ecosystem for all intents and purposes really ends. But, you know, we live under capitalism and we have private property. So that doesn't work for people who when they buy a home or they've owned a home, they really want a quote unquote private beach, even though technically, realistically, under the letter of the Constitution and now state law, there's no such thing as a private beach in Rhode Island. So that brings us to the state law that was just passed. So there was a study commission a couple years ago. The study commission's original proposal was to set it 10 feet from the seaweed line. The seaweed line is the line of detritus from the sea, seaweed, shells in some cases, whatever is left over after the high tide, the physical stuff that's left over that's been in the sea, that's left on the beach after the high tide. So the original proposal of the study commission was within 10 feet of that landward, which means uh, 10 feet towards land from uh, the, the, that seaweed line. Uh, the final the final law that passed, and it passed in June, and the governor signed it in June. Uh, the final law that was passed made it from the lowest seaweed line, because there can be, in some cases, multiple seaweed lines. Um, Whoa. 
depending on the beach and storm surge and tides and blah, 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 blah. I mean, obviously, that's not a perfect fix because everything on the beach is constantly moving. Just because it's a law, there's still a lot to work out in terms of court cases and how the state will consider it going forward. Obviously, there's no shoreline access law that can come up with every situation for every inch of coastline in an island. So some of this is just as we go, it will work itself out. So this summer, have we mm-hmm. seen it get tested at all, this new law? So we have the new law and it's been getting tested. Obviously, a law like this is going to get some lawsuits. There have been two. The first one was filed, I think, the week of July 4th or the week before July 4th from uh, an organization called the Royal Island Association of Coastal Taxpayers. It is a mostly anonymous group. We don't really know most of the members. We know the president and I think we know one other member. And I think we know that a couple of the private beach clubs are maybe members of it. I'm not sure how it's going to go. So they sued under that it was a takings on the federal constitution. Uh, they sued that the state was trampling on their rights and that they had a fear of prosecution. And broadly, the, the suit was dismissed because the judge said, you're suing the wrong people in the wrong court for basically the wrong reasons. Try again in a, in a different court and try to actually ask for something that will remedy the problem you are describing in your lawsuit. There's a second lawsuit that was filed a couple weeks ago by a married couple and their limited liability company, uh, David and Linda Roth. They own a pair of properties in uh, Westerly along Niantic Ave, I want to say, which are worth combined about $26 million. They filed another lawsuit challenging the law in Washington County Superior Court that charges that the state it's an illegal takings without undue compensation. So the government cannot, you know, very, very quickly, the government, federal government or local governments cannot take your property without paying you for it, essentially. And what they charge in their lawsuit is that the state has taken part of their property by widening the coastal access zone, and they have not been paid for by the state. They've asked the court to overturn the law because it violates the state and federal constitution. And if the court does not please to do that, they have asked the court to compensate them for the loss and value of their property. I have some questions. So when you've talked to folks about it, have they put forth a maybe alternate argument against Uh, The case will be handled by the Attorney General's office, who declined to comment and said they will respond in court. I have not checked this week to see if they responded in court, but I imagine they're going to vigorously contest it. Uh, The Attorney General has pledged that he will fight this lawsuit just as vigorously as the first one and protect people's shoreline access rights. I would imagine an argument could be made that the lost property perhaps was never their property to begin with under the law um, because the new law was sort of interpreting and clarifying what the Constitution said. Is there any other thoughts? It's pretty complicated. One of the things the new lawsuit also does is it charges the legislature with overstepping their bounds. So in Rhode Island, and I don't know if Massachusetts has this, we have a, a, a specific constitutional amendment called separation of powers where where uh, you really can't have the different branches of government mixing. And what the lawsuit does is when they charge that when the state passed this law, it was overturning a, a, oh, a, a, court, a judicial decision. How, how much that's going to have weight, I don't know. We'll have to wait a couple months for it to work out. But Senator Mark McKinney, who helped craft the Senate version of the law, says he's confident it will uh, withstand on the merits alone and not for any other technicalities or deficiencies with the lawsuit challenging it. Um, so the advocates who helped the law pass are pretty confident that it's going to withstand any of the legal challenges. 
now or in the future that come up. So one thought is that if I am hearing a lot of people saying they're confident that the law will um, hold up, but if the law doesn't hold up, and say it doesn't hold up because there, the court finds that their argument about the state seizing their property is valid, um, and they end up actually ruling that they should be compensated. That's a lot of that's a lot of money that could be at stake. It is a lot of money, but it's also complicated because the ocean is always moving, and every deed on a case by case basis is going to say something different as to the boundary. Some will say the shoreline. Some will specify the Atlantic Ocean. Some will say, you know, they will all phrase a similar thing a different way, which is why we have this. It could be a different boundary than when the person bought the house. And the ocean is always changing. It's not like if you buy a house, say, in the suburbs in Warwick or Cranston, way inland, that isn't changing. Unless there's a big sinkhole like there sometimes are in Cumberland. Constantly. (laughs) But the beach beach and the shoreline is constantly changing from erosion, from storms. Um, The dunes get bigger. The dunes get smaller. Like it, it is constantly changing because of the tides. It's not really meant for uh, our legal system that expects everything to stay that way in perpetuity. Yeah, hard so, to be a, a surveyor on the ocean. Then, but uh, access to the shore has been in the state constitution for for decades and decades. We'll have to see. I don't know what the judges will think. Is there any other legislation coming down the pipeline to either further clarify the law that was just passed or to address no. any other issues with this? Uh, no. So uh, the shoreline access law handles lateral access. So you can travel up and down the beach within that 10 feet corridor from the lower seaweed line. But how do you get on the beach? You get that's on the beach through points of access. And in Rhode Island, that's handled usually locally by the towns. But points of access are also a flashpoint of contention when it comes to shoreline access. Because, sure, it's great you have the lateral access law, but if you can't get on the beach, it's another illusory right you have. So uh, rights of way are on the local level are maintained and identified by the towns. So the 21 coastal communities in Rhode Island typically have a harbor management plan. And this isn't universal. This is typically how it's done for those four towns along Rhode Island South Shore, Narragansett, South Kingstown, Charlestown, and Westerly. They have a harbor management plan that identifies the current rights of way that are owned or maintained by the town. And it pledges to increase public access to the shore and make more. On the state level, it's done by the Coastal Resources Management Council, who has done a pretty good job doing it. They have a goal of uh, identifying or making a, a state designation for a right-of-way, one for every mile of coastline. Uh, we have about 400 miles of coastline. They've only identified 234. There's a lot of reasons for that. It's another long, lengthy, dense legal process involving a lot of background research and chain of deeds and all the stuff that if you didn't go to law school, I'm sure is having your eyes glaze over. <laughs> but it's a slow process, and it's contentious. Right now, uh, I believe, I, I was looking through all the minutes of their subcommittee. The CRMC has a subcommittee that identifies rights away. I was looking through the, the minutes for all the ones this year, uh, last night, and I, I, I believe they're only handling, it's only one specific right away they're considering this year, and it's the Spring Avenue extension in Westerly. That's a right of way near, I believe, Weekapogin in Westerly. The Weka, well, the Weekapog Fire District says it's private, and uh, a band of residents are basically suing. They're not literally suing. This but is they're what, contesting that. They're contesting that it's public and that CRMC suggested it as a state right away. And they're spending their entire year on this and it's still ongoing. They haven't had their public hearings for that yet. They haven't done any presentations of evidence to the subcommittee. 
It is very much like a court case, but not like one of those cool 90s dramas where it's very dramatic and fun to watch. It's long, it's lengthy, it's boring, but this is the process that helps in Rhode Island. Now, if it gets that state designation, that gets you a lot of things. Uh, you get some very cool CRMC signage, which can only be done by CRMC in addition to any town signage maybe that the town has put up. But also you get state protections, which means that if someone obstructs or destroys a right of way, the state will sue and do everything in its legal power on that row's behalf. Right of way, row, uh, R-O-W. So I'm just saying the yeah, thing yeah. in my head. And that's, I'm sorry, I've been doing Citroland Access for too many years now. Thank you so much, Rob, for explaining all that stuff and making it sound interesting despite the fact that it is a lot of legalese. We want to thank Vanessa Carlton for letting us use her song Willows for our theme song, which you heard at the beginning and end of every episode. We also want to thank Roger Williams University and Professor Bernardo Moda for letting us use their recording studio. If you have any questions, tips, or podcast ideas, email me at colleen at ecori.org. Collecting seaweed on the beach is a constitutional right in the state. That's how some people Whoa, made, who knew? The right made to bear money. arms and the right to bear seaweed. <laughs>